Father, we thank you for your deep, deep love for us. God, we thank you that we have known a part of that love now. We thank you that we have been able to hear your word, to know that you sent Jesus for us, to know that you love us and have good plans for us, to know, God, that we can come to you whenever we need. But God, we also know that we only know the, the tip of the surface. God, we look forward to knowing your love even more. We look, know, look forward to knowing you face to face. But God, even now, as we open your word, may we, may we be reminded of your deep, deep love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Being rejected is not a fun thing. Whether you're talking about basketball and getting your shot blocked, which is an embarrassing feeling, I don't like that, or uh, anybody ever applied for a loan and they said no to you, that's not a fun feeling, or has anybody, and we don't need to see a show of hands on this, and uh, you don't need to ask me for my personal, I, I shared a personal story last week about how my feet aren't very beautiful, and, uh, and since then I sprained my ankle and it's even worse, so... Um, but I'm not going to share any personal stories today about being rejected in this way, but have any of you ever asked somebody out on a date and, and been rejected? They said no. It's not a fun feeling to be rejected. But what if you thought that God rejected you? Could you imagine living in the pain of that, like not wanting him to reject you, but feeling like because of what you have done that maybe God has rejected you? In my personal devotional times lately, I've been reading in the book of Lamentations. In that book, the, the context of it is that Israel had sinned greatly against God. For many, many years, they had sinned greatly against God, and God was about to punish them. And the punishment was pretty severe. And the book of Lamentations, the first six letters of it, is a lament. They're crying out because of the, the desperate situation they're in. But listen to how the book of Lamentation ends. The, the last three verses here. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Can you imagine saying that to God? I mean, I can imagine saying, O Lord, renew us, restore us, that we may return. I, I've prayed prayers like that many times, saying, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. Renew me. Restore me. But can you imagine saying that last part and just wondering if God had rejected you? What if that's what the story was for us? What if the story went that we all sinned, which every single one of us has done, that part of the story is true, but what if the rest of the story was doubt and uncertainty about whether God loved us anymore or whether God had intentionally rejected us. Is that how God has responded to us? Well, we're studying the book of Romans here at Cornerstone, and over the last month we have looked at chapters 9 and 10, and in those chapters we have seen that God had indeed revealed himself to his people, Israel. He sent Jesus so that they could be saved, but they did not put their faith in him. Now, one possible way to look at it, then, is that God had rejected his people. That's the way that maybe somebody could have taken that turn of events. And that's the question that the Apostle Paul starts out with in chapter 11. 
So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the first 10 verses of Romans 11, and we're going to ask two questions about rejection. So first we're going to look at Romans 11, verses 1 through 6, and I would like to read them now. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. So the first question I want to ask is, did God reject his people? And Paul doesn't waste any time saying it. His answer is no, or more forcefully in verse 1, by no means has God rejected his people. And Paul gives four answers, four reasons why he can answer that way. And I just want to run through these four answers quickly from these verses. The first is that Paul himself was an Israelite. So we know that God didn't reject all Israelites because Paul was an Israelite and God called Paul to himself. So at least we have one Israelite that God did not reject. But then second, from verse 2, it says that God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Now back in chapter 8, we saw a process which God started and which God himself has promised to finish. And that process started in 828, I believe it was, with his foreknowledge, with his knowing of his people ahead of time. God knew who would be his people. And the end of that process in Romans 8 is glorification. Now, I love the word glorification because that tells us about the time that we get to see God face to face, that he makes us perfect, that we actually get to enter into his glory and we don't enter as sinners, we enter as those who have been redeemed and those who God will make perfect. It's, it's telling us about heaven. And I hope, by the way, that you look forward to heaven. I hope that as we battle through this earth, Sometimes we battle through what other people do to us. Sometimes we battle through our own sin. I hope you often look forward to heaven and remember that that's going to be a wonderful place, that God is going to make everything new and we will get to live with him in the place that he has created for us, in the perfect place. So no, God does not reject his people whom he foreknew. In fact, he takes us through a process to make us perfect. And then third... Historically, as we'll see in verses 2 through 4, God has left a remnant. Now that word remnant doesn't actually appear until verse 5, but that's what Paul is describing here. And the word remnant just means a part that remains or continues to exist. So Israel was a large group of people, but within that large group there was a smaller group of people called the remnant that remained faithful to God. And to explain the history of this word, Paul quotes from 1 Kings 19. Uh, you may remember 1 Kings 18 a lot better. That's the really awesome story of Elijah against the false prophets. Do you remember this story? Uh, Elijah set up this little uh, contest. Him, one person, against 850 false prophets of Baal and Asherah. So one against 850. And the contest was, Elijah said, I'll build an altar and, and I'll put a sacrifice on it. You all build an altar and you put a sacrifice on it. And whosoever God calls down fire from heaven, that is the one true God. And, and Elijah said, okay, you guys, you go first. 
So the 850 of them, they, they set up this altar, they put the animal on it, and they are just trying as hard as they can to get their God to call down fire. And I think 1 Kings 18 may be the funniest chapter in the Bible because Elijah is just kind of sitting there. You can kind of see him mocking those 850 people like, hey, um, why don't you cry out a little louder? Maybe he's sleeping and needs to be woken up. Or, or maybe he's traveling. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll be back in a moment maybe and Elijah's like, yeah, right, you guys, this is hilarious. Then Elijah, it's his turn to go. And it's like, well, I know that my God can do this. That's almost too simple. Let's pour 12 jars of water on my sacrifice. And so they do that. And Elijah calls on his God, and his God calls down fire. Really awesome, wonderful story. First uh, Kings 18, if you want to read that. But right after that, in First Kings 19, Elijah got discouraged and complained that he was the only one left and that they were trying to kill him. But God responded to Elijah, telling him that there were 7,000 remaining who had not bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000 remaining who had remained faithful to God. That's the remnant. So even in unfaithful times, when Elijah thought he was all by himself, there was still a remnant of people remaining. And then fourth, Paul goes on to say there was still a remnant in his day in Paul's day. And, and I would say that God still does this in our day too. It, it's not just that there used to be a group of people who remained faithful to God. It's that God has always reserved for himself a group of people who are faithful to him. Now, let me ask you all a question. Do you ever feel like you're alone in your desire to worship God? Do you ever look around you and feel like, man, nobody else is doing this? Why not? And depending on how you read the polls or interpret all, our culture, you can get a very different picture. And, and let, me, let me show you both sides of, of the coin here. On the one hand, I recently saw or I heard about a poll in which it said that about 70 to 80% of Americans self-identify as Christians. Now, if that's the case, we're doing pretty well then, aren't we? But on the other hand, there are other polls out there. Uh, I've heard this one a lot lately that there are on average, or, well, about 20% of Americans are regular churchgoers. So, on the one hand, we've got 70 to 80% that say they're Christians, but we only have about 20% of Americans that are regular churchgoers. And perhaps we might even assume, and I'm not, I'm not saying this, I'm just saying we in general as Christians, might assume that some of those 20% are, are really just nominal Christians that they're just going to church because they think it's the right thing to do, not because they have a vibrant walk with God. And we might look at things in our culture, like things in the media, things in the movies, things that we see around us, things that people are doing, and we might think, does anybody care about God anymore? Am I the only one left? So which one is it? Are we doing really poorly, or are we doing really well? Uh, my answer is that it's some of each. We have to take kind of a, a middle stance on this one. But part of my answer to that is that God has still reserved a remnant even today. That there are other people who care about God, who care about living according to his ways. Do you know why there's still a remnant today? Because of God's grace. Verse 5, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. See, God has always acted in grace to reserve a people for himself. And let's focus on that grace for a moment. The word grace 
it, it's the same word that you could translate as kindness or even gift. It is God's gift to us that he knows us and that he loves us. And it's not a gift that we have earned. I think that some people kind of walk through this life thinking, well, you know, I kind of have my act together and God must kind of look down at me and smile at me. And maybe that's why things are going so well for me because I'm doing things right. You know what? That's not how grace works. None of us could have earned God's favor. The only reason that God is gracious to us is because he is a gracious God. It's not because we've earned it. It's not because we have our acts together. It's because he just loves us and is gracious to us. You see, the good news is that we, even though we were sinners, are deeply, deeply, like we just sang, loved by God that he sent Jesus for us to rescue us. And, and again, it's important to remember that we didn't earn that. That Jesus earned salvation for us by dying on the cross. Because when he died on the cross, he died for our sins. And again, every one of us is a sinner. But in his grace, God knew that we would not be able to rescue ourselves, so he sent Jesus. And I, I hope you know that. The only hope that any of us have of getting to spend eternity with God is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, that's one of the key points in the book of Romans. That our salvation comes as a gift. Not as something that we have earned because we could never earn it. It comes by God's grace through God's kindness. And just, again, it's, it's so important that I just want to say this one more time. There's no way that we could earn our way to God by doing enough good deeds. I think some people have this interpretation of their lives that they, they're building this mound of good works in their lives and they're hoping that at the end God's going to see this, this mound of good works and let them in. But you know the problem with that? Mixed in with that mound, however small of good works that is, there's a bunch of sin in it as well. And we can't do anything to take care of that sin. Only Jesus can. Because the standard is perfection. And on our own, we are not perfect. But in his grace, God sent Jesus for us. And because he died for us, any of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ can be forgiven and can have an eternity-long relationship with God. And let me show you two verses on this. And these are two verses. If you do not know these, this is your application for the sermon today, is to memorize these verses, and uh, if you have not yet, uh, to act on them by putting your faith in Christ. But Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, I, every Christian should know these verses, I think. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Do you see in there, it's not by works, it's not from yourselves, it's by grace, and it's a gift. I think uh, God wanted us to make sure that we knew that. It is both by grace, you see on the first line there, and then on the third line, it's a gift of God. And yes, it is through faith, so that's our response. We are to put our faith in Christ. We are to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. And if you don't know what that means, it means you give your life to him. It means you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, that he is master, that he is king, and you give your life to him. But even so, we don't save ourselves by putting our faith in Christ. God rescues us because of his grace, because of the gift and the kindness shown to us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So God is merciful to sinners like us. 
just like the father in the story of the prodigal son, which, boy, I love that story. The, the son squandered away his inheritance. He, he asked for his her- inheritance before his father died, and he went and squandered it away. And how did the father view the son? If you read in between the lines of that story, it looks like the father was looking and waiting for the son to come back. And when he came back, he threw his arms around him and threw a party for him. That's how God loves sinners like you and me. That's the mercy of God our Father. So the question was, did God reject his people? Well, the answer is a resounding no, a merciful no. God didn't reject his people. In his grace, he sent Jesus to rescue us. That's God's action in this story, not to reject, but to rescue through Jesus Christ. And let me finish off this first point today by showing you some other verses in the Bible where we see God's heart not to reject his people. 1 Samuel 12:22 says, For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. Psalm 94, 14 For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. And then one more from Hebrews 13.5, which many of you probably know. It's quoting Deuteronomy 31.6. says, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. In Christ, God welcomes us into his family. He doesn't reject us. He welcomes us into his family. But then that leads us to another question. If God has not rejected his people, we should ask the question, why do some people reject God? Let's read verses 7 through 10. What then? What Israel sought so earnestly it did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, and ears so that they could not hear to this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. So Paul starts off this section with another question. What then? He says, what Israel sought so earnestly it did not obtain. And what was it that Israel sought? Well, if you remember back to chapters 9 and 10, which I'm sure you all do, right? Because we spent the last month looking at it. At the end of chapter 9, Israel sought righteousness. But how did they seek it? by works, to the law. And then at the beginning of chapter 10, it says that, that they didn't submit to God's righteousness, but they tried to establish their own, which is just this, it's almost this creepy verse to me, that instead of submitting to God and his righteousness, they tried to establish their own. Like, why would you do that? But that's what they did. Uh, so they did not obtain righteousness, because none of us could ever obtain righteousness by doing things, by by working for it. However, the elect did obtain righteousness. So who are the elect and what's different about them? Well, the theologian Doug Moo says, those who are elect exercise faith in Christ as the single requirement for salvation. I think that's just well said and simply put. The elect exercise faith. So there's a contrast here in verse 7 between those who were elect and received righteousness and those who were hardened and did not receive righteousness. And this hardening can be a difficult topic, and in some ways it goes back to that debate that I brought up four Sundays ago. And I'm not going to rehash the whole debate here. It's the debate between Calvinists and Arminians. Uh, I'm not going to get into that whole thing today. Uh, If you want to hear my fuller comments on it, you can go back four Sundays online and 
and listen to that sermon. Uh, but I, I do want to say just a few words on it, um, how both sides of the debate would answer the question. And here's the question. Why are some people hardened and not others? It's, it's a question we kind of want to know the answer to, don't we? That's, I, I kind of, when I read this, I'm like, well, why? Why are some hardened and others not? And there's a theological debate. And here at Cornerstone, you're free to land on either side of that debate as long as the Bible drives you there, okay? We don't start with our opinions of God and then try to make the Bible fit our opinion. We start with the Bible and see what it has to say. So the, the two sides of that debate, first, the Calvinist might say that it's just simply God's choice, that he has chosen who would receive his grace and, and who would not. And we have no right to question his judgments because we know that he is just and fair in all that he does. And he knows things that we do not. And also, the, the Calvinists might say that we're all sinners anyway, so none of us deserve his mercy and grace. If he gives it to anyone, it's, it's his act of grace. And then the Arminian might simply say that God's hardening of these people is simply in response to the choice that they made already to reject Jesus. So in this view, God gives people the opportunity to receive Jesus, but if they reject Jesus, God will harden them as their punishment. And uh, one theologian said on this that their hardening was self-induced before it became a divine judgment. So they rejected Jesus and then God hardened them. And now, as I said earlier, you're free to land on either side of that debate or even to pick the Calvinian twist in the middle which kind of says, ah, we just don't know. We know that God does it and we know that we're not supposed to reject Jesus but we don't really know how it all works out so we'll just land happily in the middle. And, and that's okay if you want to land there. In my opinion, that's okay. But what we all agree on, and what you have to agree on as you read Romans 11, is that some are elect and some are not, and therefore get hardened. And Paul goes on to explain this hardening in verse 8, and he's quoting, which is interesting to me, he quotes at the end of chapter 11, he quotes from Deuteronomy and Isaiah, and eventually he'll quote from Psalms, the same three books that he quoted from at the end of chapter 10. So I, I don't know, maybe Paul was just doing his quiet times in those books as he was writing Romans. It could be, I don't know. Um, but in that Isaiah passage that he quotes from, there's a, a familiar verse later on, if you were to read the whole chapter. Look at what it says in Isaiah 29:14. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Recognize that verse? Jesus used that verse in his ministry. He was talking about religious people who weren't following him. Religious people who, if you were to look at them, you would have thought, boy, they're the ones that have it together. Uh, somebody has said to me recently that if a Pharisee walked into our congregation today, we would look at them and say, wow, all right, well, hey, what are you, what are you here to do to serve? We would like, we'd like to have people that look like that in some ways serving with us, but there's a huge problem. Hopefully we catch on to this problem too. Is the problem of the heart. It's not enough just to have our, our lips and our mouths say the right thing. It's a heart issue. And remember, when religion is done wrongly, it can just simply be man's attempt to earn his way to God. And you don't need any faith to do that. You don't need any faith to try to work your way to God. But you do need faith to please God. So please don't miss that part of the equation. Faith. Faith must come first. And the way that I like to say it is that faith must come first. 
And then, with a heart overflowing with gratitude because of what God has done for us, then we can work. And, and then our works, driven by our faith, can please God. But we can't get that order wrong. And some people did get that order wrong, and God's heart, uh, God's response to those people whose hearts weren't right was to give them this spirit of stupor, eyes that couldn't see and ears that couldn't hear. And it kind of reminds me of Romans 1, where people persisted in sin so long that God finally gave them over to their sin. That's kind of an eerie verse, too, where it talks about God saying, these people have just, they, they've rejected Jesus, they've gone their own way, and God finally says, okay, go your own way. It's a dangerous thing to continue on the wrong path. And on that note, let me say something by way of application here. If you're on the wrong path, repent. Now that means if you've been rejecting Jesus all your life, today, in the Bible it says today is the day of salvation. Not May 24th, but today, whenever it's today, whenever you hear the message, whenever you hear Jesus knocking. But then also, this, this applies to Christians too. And I was thinking about this. How many Christians started off with the right intent to say, God, I love you, I thank you for what you've done for me in Jesus Christ, and I give my life to you and I want to follow you. But then somewhere along the line, life gets in the way and our passion for God dwindles. Anybody ever experienced that in your life? Anybody ever experienced a time of straying off into the darkness? Even though Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, you find yourself kind of wandering away. And you didn't intend to, perhaps, and maybe you didn't notice it getting darker in your life. But maybe you're there right now. And if you're there right now, I don't want to hammer you. I just want to urge you to repent, to know that God loves you and is pleased when we confess our sins and repent to him. I love this verse in 2 Peter 3.9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So yes, there is the truth that I already mentioned that sometimes God gives people over to their sins, but also there's the truth that God is patient and wanting us to repent. So if you're on the wrong path, turn around. Repent right now. Talk to God, even in your heart. I will give you permission to not listen to me for the rest of the sermon, even if you don't want to. If you just talk to God and repent right in your seat there, I think that would be very appropriate. If you're on the wrong path, please don't stay there. Please, please turn around. If by faith we give ourselves to God, repenting of our sins, receiving Jesus, and continuing to walk with him by faith, God will give us eyes to see and ears to hear. See, in verses 7 to 8, we see this contrast between one group of people who didn't walk by faith and were therefore hardened, and another group of people who received righteousness from God because they put their faith in him. And then in verses 9 to 10, Paul continues his reasoning uh, by quoting the Old Testament again, this time from Psalm 69. And what he quotes here might seem really harsh, and it is harsh. But if you read Psalm 69, you understand why. Because in that psalm, David, who was the anointed king of Israel, had a group of people who had set themselves against him. So he, he prayed against those people. Now the New Testament often picks up on the language from Psalm 69 in reference to Jesus. 
the anointed king of Israel. You see, David was the anointed king. Jesus is the anointed king of Israel. And Jesus also had a group of people who were set against him. So as we look back at Psalm 69 and we see David praying against some people, we can now look at it through the eyes of Jesus and recognize that those who set themselves against Jesus will not be blessed. Now, yes, those who set themselves against Jesus, they may get money or fame. They may get earthly pleasure. But one thing they will not get is blessing from God if they are rejecting Jesus. You see, Jesus told us who gets blessing from God. In fact, in Matthew 5, he he gives us a whole list of of ways that we can be blessed. Let me read for you one of them. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So you see, if by faith we seek after God, we seek after the things that he wants, then God will give us blessings. And those blessings may not be money or fame but those blessings will be much deeper and much stronger. They will be the blessings of God with us. The God who created the heavens and the earth sustaining us, giving us what we need so that we can continue in our walk of faith and he will bring us safely home. thought about that. You know, how often do parents pray for their kids to have safe travels? Please, please bring them safely home. That's what God wants to do for us is to bring us safely home. Not safe in the sense of nothing bad will ever happen to us, but safe in the sense of we know that God is with us and that he will carry us through. The book of Romans so often emphasizes this idea that there are only two responses to Jesus. Either we reject him or we receive him. To reject him, I hope you've seen, does not lead to any blessing. People might think that it does lead to blessing because they might think, well, good, I get to pick my own life. I'm not burdened by what God has for me or his rules for me. I get to do what I want to do. And I think some people are really motivated by that, by seeking their own life. But that's not the life that we were created for. We were created by God to give our lives to God, putting our faith in Christ, submitting our lives to him. And that's, that may sound ironic to people. I understand that. Giving up control of your life maybe does not sound like the way to gain life, but it is the way. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ and submit to him and follow him, that is the life that is truly life and it leads to eternal life. So in Romans 11, we see one group of people receiving blessings from God because they were chosen by grace, but we see another group, namely the Israelites, who were hardened because they rejected Jesus. But as we'll see next Sunday, Israel isn't beyond recovery. Romans 11 goes on to tell us about how God can bring them back in. So that's where we're going the next couple of Sundays, actually. But in the present, God had reserved a remnant, and that's his grace for us who know him now. Let me conclude today's sermon by saying this, that it is God's grace to rescue us And we are to keep seeking him by faith, even if it seems like we're alone in that. Remember Elijah? He thought he was alone. He fought the good fight. He saw a miracle one day, one against 850, and his God won because his God is the true God. But in the very next chapter, Elijah was so discouraged that he wanted to die. 
But God came to Elijah with a message that day. He encouraged him. He gave him food and water and he strengthened him to do what he wanted him to do. And then he reminded Elijah that he wasn't alone, that there was still a remnant. Similarly, God hasn't rejected us. We might feel like we're alone. We might feel like we don't have what we need to keep on going. But God strengthens us too and wants us to keep going and gives us what we need to keep going. Because God has wonderful plans for his people and continues to give grace to us. You see, God is faithful to his word. He doesn't give us his word lightly. If he gives us a promise, we can take that to the bank. And his promise is to be with us. And he tells us that we can pray to him, to ask him to give us what we need for doing his will. Yes, we will face difficulties in this life, but we are to keep seeking God by faith. That's what the remnant does. They keep seeking God by faith. Let's do that. Whatever you're going through right now, and I know some of you are going through hard times, and if you're going through a hard time right now, I'd just like to encourage you, keep going. It's worth it to keep exercising that faith, to keep trusting that God will be with you and will get you through. Or or maybe you're doing really well lately, and, and if so, Praise the Lord for that. It is His grace that is sustaining you right now. But again, we are to keep seeking God by faith. And I have found no shortcut for that. And and truth be told, I don't think I'd want a shortcut. It's like the analogy, if you're going to run a marathon, what do you have to do? You have to train every day. You run every day to train for a marathon. Or at least six out of seven days. Maybe you can rest on that seventh day. But the point is, you keep going, and there's no shortcut for that. And in our walk of faith, there's no shortcut for continuing to seek God daily. Continuing to surrender our lives to Him, to worship Him, and to trust that He has good plans for us. So whether you're doing really well, or whether you're struggling lately, the message is still the same. Keep seeking God by faith, and it is His grace that will sustain us. Would you pray with me? God, we love you and we thank you that you have grace for us, that you have always shown grace to the remnant. And God, may we continue to be faithful. May we trust in you, not in our own ways. And God, I just want to pray for anyone in here who who needs to repent right now. Whether that's the person who has never given their life to you, may they come to you right now by faith in Christ, receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord. Or whether that's a Christian who's just been wandering a little bit into the darkness. God, may we turn around from our sin and may we walk with you. God, we thank you again that you have wonderful plans for us. May we trust in you and keep seeking you, keep worshiping you, and keep walking by faith for your honor and glory. And we thank you, God, for the blessings that we receive along the way as we walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.